Okay. Hello, my new friend. Yeah. Hi. Happy Thursday. Is it Thursday? Thursday, I think. Yeah. I just realized this morning that today is Thursday. It's Friday tomorrow. I was yeah. surprised. I said, wow. Yeah. How does the days fly? It's uh, Time always flies. Yeah. Yeah. So, I actually don't know you that well, but I think from my observation, you're a really sweet and interesting person. Yeah, that's a compliment. I take it. Thank you. Of course, you know, <laughs> it's just observation. Yeah, so, um, thank you. Thank you for agreeing to do a public conversation as if people yeah. will be listening in. Hmm. Um, so, because you, you haven't even introduced yourself to me anyway, so if you were to talk to somebody new today and kind of like make friends or just like say hello, um, how would you describe yourself? Like how would you introduce yourself? Anything and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Clement. Mm-hmm. I come from Ghana. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moment I'm doing postgraduate studies, research in history. But I usually say I'm doing PhD in history, but my topic really is political science. I'm studying the, oh. the history of political institutions in wow. countries that have natural resources. Wow. And. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> why do you choose that topic? Why why is it of your interest? Um so you know I'm a sco- scholar of security because mm-hmm. I did my uh, one of my postgraduate studies in conflict security and development at King's College London in the UK. Wow. And there I picked up a lot of interest in resource governance mm-hmm. in developing countries and um, so I've had a few publications on uh, how natural resources influence conflict and uh, political stability Wow! Okay. and Interesting. usually I focus on sub-Saharan Africa ah, but okay. the, the literature I look at generally looks at um, influences of resources on all those variables across the developing world. And of course, the dynamics in developing countries is a little different from the dynamics in developed countries yeah. because if you look at Norway, um, Australia, Canada, I mentioned them, they have tend, I mean, not they, I mean, it appears their resources mm-hmm. have been uh, sources of prosperity. Yeah. It, it's not the same with um, all other countries in the developing world. Yep. I part of the reason, totally get that. and uh, part of the reason the scholars say is that the resource themselves possess some elements of um, influence uh-huh. on the way corruption, uh, you know, is exhibited. The way people look at their own livelihoods and explore opportunities. And so people will say, for instance, that um, if you have, I mean, so, so, I don't want to be to, to sound very academic, but <laughs> are you trying to so, teach me? Okay, I'm joking. Some, yeah, of teach the, me. some of the scholars try to say that if you have, um, let's say, diamond in a country that is alluvial, that's very easy to to extract and then process, mm-hmm. then it's very easy for um, ordinary people 
who have some influence do want to take control of it. Mm -hmm. If the systems are not strong, then chances are that they would want to capture it and the government would also want to capture it and it, it creates conflict mm -hmm. because of the struggle over control and stuff. And some would also say uh, crude oil, for instance, which is very difficult to explore and extract, mm -hmm. may not lend itself to conflict. But the evidence in Nigeria, for instance, is a little, a little different. Anyway, but the idea... Okay. <laughs> anyway, the other lecturer is. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I'm just trying to say. So, no, 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 I, no. I really developed some interest in yeah. natural resource governance. Mm -hmm. And now my, my thesis is now trying to look at, uh, to have a more critical you know, assessment of that kind of thinking mm -hmm. to see whether the resource themselves are a problem mm -hmm. or it's just the socio political dynamics mm -hmm. that also influence how those are governed, mm -hmm. right? So um, I'm looking at, whilst I understand that resources themselves could be uh, potential sources of conflict and instability, uh -huh. I think even if you take the resources away, many of the developing countries, even before they had resources in commercial quantities, had challenges with institutions. Mm -hmm. uh, capital mobilization, you know, governance in general. And so there are histories and there are opportunities that led them, you know, I mean, that led to the way they govern themselves. Mm. Already, you know, couldn't have sustained them anyway, you know. Mm. Anyway, so I'm looking at it in that sense, trying to critique what we call the natural resource case in uh, developing countries. Mm. So that's where that's why I chose that topic. And I, my uh, the postgraduate studies I did in the UK, you know, was exploring some of those drivers of political instability in developing countries. Mm -hmm. And I think focusing now more on the resource itself gives mm -hmm. some added value to the conversation. Cool. That's a lot of information. I think But so. I think it's really interesting because you explain why you're choosing this topic like you're really passionate about it because i i know for a fact that sometimes people go for further studies yeah. and they choose a random topic yeah or they just choose a topic that is like the closest one that they can work on yeah so i think i think my question for you is what made you to be this passionate about such a topic like i understand why yeah. you chose it for mm -hmm. your yeah. phd mm -hmm. research mm -hmm. But what led you to this day? Like, what has been your journey in life so far? Like, why are you so interested in political instability? Um, okay, so yeah, I come from a country that is surrounded by many other countries that have issues with resource governance. Mm -hmm. At least that's what the literature says. But I think there's more to it. Um, so in West Africa, Ghana is among the most peaceful and most politically stable. Mm. But to our um, to our east, you have Nigeria, mm -hmm. uh, two countries away, which is like the biggest English-speaking country in Nigeria, apart from Ghana. I mean, and followed by Ghana and others. And if you look at the way crude oil is said to create the kind of turmoil, like Boko Haram and other. Niger Delta uh, terrorists in the country. 
many scholars are wondering whether their discovery of crude oil in the 70s is worth it's sort of like whether it really added any value to the country. Um, now, if you look at all uh, the other immediate neighbors, Cote d'Ivoire, Burkina Faso, and um, Togo, they've all had some form of political instability. Mm. Uh, one of them, Cote d'Ivoire, was very peaceful and prosperous, and then suddenly they plunged themselves into war over some politics kind of thing. And then Togo has had a dictator for over 40 years, mm. you know. Burkina Faso has had its own issues. So when Ghana discovered crude oil in 2007 in commercial quantities, the conversation became, will Ghana continue to be as politically stable mm -hmm. and continue on the path of um, st stability and prosperity? Yeah. <coughs> so once that conversation came on board and caught fire and you know scholars began to troop into the country to discuss those conversations my interest got uh, you know uh, enlivened you know mm. and i started uh, reading and following the conversations on how ghana can manage its crude oil in commercial quantities but mind you since the 1970s we have also been exporting other natural resources like gold. Mm. Gold contributes about 30% of Ghana's GDP. Um, cocoa, which is used to make chocolate, which we like a lot. In fact, uh, yeah. Ghana produces more than 50% of the world's cocoa, mm -hmm. which is made for chocolate. And that's, a, that's a new fact. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I think more than, uh, like, I, if I'm not exaggerating, about 90% of the world's cocoa is made uh, is produced in West Africa mm -hmm. between and it's just between Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire. Mm. Cote d'Ivoire is our neighbor as well. Yeah. So um, in terms of how natural resources has contributed to Ghana's development or underdevelopment, it's really subject to debate because in spite of all this, it's not counted amongst the most prosperous in the world or even in Africa. Yeah. So there are a number of things to look at. So when um, in th 2007, the country started, uh, I mean, discovered crude oil in commercial quantities in its waters. And then Ghana started exporting actually in 2011. Mm -hmm. It became a subject for debate and discussion, you know. Yeah. So I that's probably the source of my interest. And that was just about the time I was going to start my postgraduate studies in the UK mm. and you know it became a natural topic to choose in terms of mm -hmm. um, my dissertation and mm -hmm. uh, incidentally my uh, the postgraduate study was in the war studies department of King's College London mm -hmm. and uh, I needed to focus on political stability kind of thing yeah. so yeah, that's where all that those interests came from. Yeah, but still, I mean, not a lot of people are interested in doing further research because I know a lot of people want to talk about politics. Yeah. They want to discuss it. They want to mm. understand it. But to do further research means you really care yeah. about its development. Yeah. Especially maybe at this point in time, it's not just for your understanding, but also for your country. Yeah. 
So I think my question now is, what do you hope to get out of it? And what would okay? So what if you were to you know just talk to random people like me to educate people about such a topic? Why why do we need to know about this topic? Yeah. I mean my the fellowship I had in uh, in the in the UK for my postgraduate studies was targeting people who were in who were interested in academia. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was doing a, a one year. Uh, national service at the University of Ghana mm-hmm. and so I qualified to apply for that kind of thing and uh-huh. so that the, so in going for that postgraduate study I had a passion to to contribute to knowledge on so m- one of my project was to see how uh, young people mm-hmm. can be uh, how to say I mean can develop some capacities mm-hmm. around concepts and consciousness on mm-hmm. how they can contribute to mm-hmm. political stability yeah, and so development. And so I wanted to, to see, I, mean, I wanted to return to Ghana to, to develop some courses in the tertiary institutions around yeah. security kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the plan changed a little bit. I mean, I returned. I didn't go back to academia. I mm-hmm. went to into consultancy to do, you know, resource uh, research and evaluation kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but along those lines, I, those times, I still did a few few publications on mm-hmm. uh, those things I studied. So I, I published my dissertation mm-hmm. in some of the high-profile journals. I started researching still around governance and politics. Mm-hmm. Partly also because there was a network of um, scholars that also benefited from my scholarship across Africa. Mm-hmm. And so we kept in touch, we kept you know, conversations. Yeah. Um, and so that interest has always been there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you wake up and you are like, ah, now I'm moving to something <laughs> else. There's someone sends you an email talking about <laughs> Something else in Kenya, mm-hmm. Uganda, yeah, you know, so that interest keeps coming. But I think for me, I'm very much the the, the interest in working with um, young people and reviving conversations on security That's is great. very alive. Yeah. yeah. So. So I want part of the reasons why I I want to do PhD is to yeah. somehow return to academia. Yeah see how um, I can contribute to the conversations on security in general, mm-hmm. but how security is tied to development and underdevelopment. Mm-hmm. Now that's great. That's really academic. So aside of all the academic stuff you do, you were saying that you want to educate young people to spark their interest or at least let them know about how they can contribute to yeah. political stability. Yeah. So I'm a young person here in the room what would you say to me, like the one thing that I can do wherever I am in the world mm-hmm. to contribute to my country mm-hmm. political stability? That's, um, I mean, it's not as if the young people themselves have the magic wand to, mm-hmm. to make things work. Yeah. Because um, security, insecurity is intrinsically tied to development and 
the well-being of people. Yeah. There's a the, the debate on whether um, socioeconomic well-being of people can contribute to their demand for for what they think they deserve mm-hmm. and whether that can even mean anything in terms of establishing stability or instability. Because the, part of the things I, w- I would say is when people feel secured and the employment is good, young people feel they have some livelihood and mm-hmm. they have future, mm-hmm. they wouldn't worry about uh, you know demonstrating Mm-hmm. Getting involved in gangsterism, you know, alcoholism, and all mm-hmm. kinds of things, antisocial behaviors. But the fact that some of these are also evident, even in developed countries, also tells you that that kind of um, theory doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Or even if it works, there are so many exceptions that may not be applicable. And so, my initially, when I went into security studies, my admonition was. Um, young people should get involved in national development in positive ways mm-hmm. and if they find meaning for themselves they will see the need not to go against the tide of development yeah, right, but to flow with it yeah. in terms of the attitude of wanting to contribute to national development, mm-hmm. I think it, it's still be, it's still one of my uh, my principles which I think can contribute to political stability. What I think has changed over the years is mm-hmm. whether um, w- worth and well-being itself mm-hmm. is enough to let young people stay away from. Destabilizing behaviors, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question now is: will, will young people, even if you speak with them, would they have the the resources and the capacity to make their lives better on themselves? Mm-hmm. A lot of things come into it: education. Yeah. Um, they, the how the government decides to invest in education in terms of quality education, access to education, infrastructure. They are all critical parts of the conversation of security, mm-hmm. um, and so I mean, if if I if I'm to speak with the young people, I would want them to have as an attitude that um, is pro- progressive, mm-hmm. but that in the they need more than just being told to do things. If well, you yeah, have, definitely. If you have an education system that. Uh, doesn't you know prepare people for the the kind of the fourth industrial revolution mm-hmm. you know like the, the kind of world where soft skills are needed more than just hard skills being trained in skills I mean in technical skills alone and if you find a system that is not preparing people well enough then you wonder how much advice you can give to them mm-hmm. to change yeah but if yeah so the best I can do as a scholar will be to contribute to that psychological uh, uplifting, you know, kind of things that will make people see, even if there are challenges, yeah. to see things in ways that are more uh, 
constructive, like uplifting. Yeah. yeah. And then the rest will have to be more engagement with policymakers, uh, educationists, to develop things that mm-hmm. will support the conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So not just be, not simply being somebody who passively listen in but also actively exactly do the research yeah. know about what's happening yeah. and then do the yeah. part right? yeah exactly and i mean that's not to say um we as scholars should be um, should lift our, our hands in in the air and give up and say yeah because more i mean there's more of the supply side issues that are missing mm. so we should give up on the conversation i think young people just need to see themselves as, as part of nation building mm-hmm. and yeah. even if governments are not doing enough to bring them on board mm. the little that can be done to push them to see that contribution that they can make yeah should be made. so it's got to be a two-way conversation exactly yeah yeah if if you emphasize in one if you emphasize one part of it, you are missing the whole the whole debate. Mm, yeah. And I think um, th- that's just the way it should go without being too um, uh, too um, s- sensational about the issues. Yeah. Mm. I yeah. hope I'm speaking loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're really passionate. Initially, because this I was, is my observation. Mm-hmm. Initially, you're like. And then you're like, and I'm really interested. I'm really excited about this because, so you know, that's when you got louder, and that's when okay. I really saw, oh, you're really interested about this topic. Yeah, you're yeah. really passionate about sharing it with everyone. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's, that's great because I think now I think generally speaking, for me coming from a developing country mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. I can observe and see my peers, my friends, young people around me they can be either really engaged or really disengaged. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So they are engaged for a reason. Yeah. But I don't think it's been built on enough yeah. for the disengaged people yeah. to yeah. also you know, to, be active board, yeah. in that conversation, mm-hmm. which is a little yeah. sad. So what yeah. you said is really important. It's, it's got to come from both sides. Mm-hmm. And obviously we're just here yeah. discussing about it. It's not like government's going to listen to this conversation and be like, okay, we're going to you know help young people yeah. realize that they are important to us and they can help us. But I think it's really important to remind every single person that we can actually change stuff. Yeah, It's not like one person can change everything, Mm -hmm. but if we all do something small, Mm -hmm. eventually we can create a big change. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I think that's um, that's the way it goes. And I mean, even the other thing is goodwill is important. Um, Will on the part of those who are demanding for the services, those who are supplying the government and everybody else. But I think the way the, way the world is structured now, mm. it goes beyond goodwill mm. to want to do it, you know. That's true. Um, it, there's a whole global system that doesn't really allow those at the global, in the global south mm. at the receiving end of, of things to turn Mm-hmm. their fortunes around. Um, I think um, almost all the developing countries missed the opportunity during the times of independence struggle mm-hmm. and allowed the status quo to be sustained and, you know, um, ingrained mm-hmm. in the system. Yeah. So 
it I, I think we also be unfair to government to to think that they are just not willing and have the interest yeah and having the interest to do things um so yes there should be the goodwill mm-hmm. uh, goodwill also means dedicating some resources to see what can be done yeah. um that may change things uh, if the young people are also willing to contribute to that debate and not to feel detached from the system because that's what leads to other antisocial behaviors that yeah. potentially leads to mm-hmm. uh, drug abuse kinds of things when people don't get social support that leads to armed robbery you know rowdy behaviors that are quite destabilizing if yeah. people are able to mobilize many yeah. people around that so people need to be engaged and that's our are part of the you know the bargain to make sure we are getting people involved mm-hmm. um, government also have to be interested and willing but I think it, it goes beyond national governments kind of thing yeah but whether what we call the cliche we call international community has any mm-hmm. uh, good intentions in making sure uh, you know poor people get out of poverty is another debate on this one I don't believe they have the goodwill and uh, the capacity to do that at the moment because of yeah. the so yeah but that's uh, an entire debate on this one which we could, yeah uh, i mean we yeah. can keep talking about yeah. it all days yeah and again it will come back to you know whether governments are making efforts yeah because of the people or because of their assets and wealth okay. absolutely you know no, so, so that, yeah that's but definitely yeah again it's a good message to have mm-hmm. so i think what i get from it is like personally mm-hmm. I'm not really interested in politics yeah because That's sometimes funny. sometimes I feel like it's just too much for show mm-hmm. absolutely when I mean I respect their hard work and effort but at the same time they're not solving issues because yeah. they're too busy debating whether <laughs> debating I like that one. yeah like debating <laughs> whether this is good for the image for the public yeah. and for their I don't know budget because of, I mean diplomacy really plays yeah. a part in that yeah and that's both good and bad because diplomacy only means try to engage with all parties involved in ways mm. that are acceptable mm. yeah but it also means um, not going very deep enough yeah to understand the issue because if you look at the issues as they are the raw facts on the ground mm-hmm. you don't need to be diplomatic about solving it you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well but I mean we understand and we think they don't have to be but yeah they do what they do and they yeah. have to use diplomacy yeah as no, absolutely. the tool so yeah I mean well, I totally get it it's just mm. sometimes it's frustrating to think about it in that sense mm-hmm. that I forget to think about the earlier message mm. that we can actually be an active listener yeah. in this conversation so we don't have to just be frustrated and go yeah. uh, that again yeah. but we can just understand it a little more and mm-hmm. think about the small things that we can do yeah. maybe yeah. just educate our friends about it yeah I think you in know? our own little ways I mean if you look at the um, and that's probably another conversation I, don't, I probably shouldn't be conflating things mm-hmm. but if you look at uh, the uh, let me call it migration boom in the last few years <laughs> yeah where most everyone there's a craze to leave developing countries for the developed countries mm. that already tells you how um, our generation has failed yeah. 
yeah. the, the next generation. Yeah, I mean it's happening around us yeah. all the time, yeah. especially when ever since I moved here, I've I've noticed so much about that topic. Yeah. It's yeah. such a huge thing. It's a big deal, and it it sets something about yeah. our world as well. It's exactly. just. Yeah. I'm, I know that the world is getting to a better place, but yeah. at the same time, it's not actually... You mean the world is getting to a better place? Get, getting to a better place means... So I had this conversation with my friends. So we talked about how, you know, quality of life is so much better. Um, longevity is better. You know, people live longer. No, but that's just part of the story. Yeah, exactly. So that's you know? why what I'm saying is, yeah. on the one hand, we see the yeah. facts. But on the other hand, there are just so many underlying issues mm-hmm. That we just overlook because you know we're frustrated. Yeah. Let's not think about it. Yeah. You know, and I understand. Yeah. And this is my two a.m. thoughts, by the yeah. way. Yeah. You know, when you stay up late at night yeah. and then you're like, okay, why the hell is this? It's happening. So yeah. two a.m. thoughts can go like, this is our world, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. We didn't choose where we were born. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think there should be a boundary and limit as to what, where, and what we, where we, where we can go, what we can do. Yeah. But it exists. It, it because does. of politics, because of diplomacy, because of a lot of other things, mm-hmm. and that's why people choose to leave developing countries because they yeah. don't have the choice. Yeah. Because if they want to live in a freer world, they will have to. Yeah, the problem is, you know, it's it's amazing how, and I don't want to go into the, because that's also going to uh, be expanding the thing into areas where we don't yeah, have the, the yeah. capacity to delve deep into but I mean we don't we won't have the time to delve deep into but um not yet. If you look at Maybe yeah be soon. Yeah of course. <laughs> Very interesting always. <laughs> <laughs> um if you look at the way since the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, the idea of liberal liberal develop liberal democracy, liberal de- liberal development and the networking of countries and people whetting mm-hmm. the appetite of people to see good things outside. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, um, after all the exploitations of things, resources to developed countries to do to develop a world for themselves, and after inciting other people to go to war to develop to destroy themselves, mm-hmm. then suddenly those who have amassed all the wealth decide and say, yeah, we are no more interested in welcoming you guys anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, stay where you are, let's stay where we are. Mm. But that, And if you look at the statistics of how things work and how the, that inequality has been brought about, mm. it, yeah, it just tells you how, how it is. Because um, there's this, not very popular because the author himself it's a very controversial guy. There's a, a book called The Bottom Billion mm. by uh, Paul Kulia and some other guys who have estimated, have, no, not estimated, have, uh, yeah, estimated that um, 20% of the world's population control about 80% of the world's resources. Oh, yeah, the 80 20 rule again, exactly. right? And then recently, in fact, less than two weeks ago, there was a publication where did I see that well you can figure that out that suggests yeah. that um, and that that has a more agenda twist to it that uh, there's something about it that suggests that women have only about two percent of or is it two or something percent of what men have across the world 
Wow, that's and I probably need to f- f- uh, fish out that information and share with you sometime. Yeah. Um. So that kind of that kind of inequality and the the balance, the the sort of balance, you know, mm-hmm. of things, already tells you that there's no way mm-hmm. that even if countries in developing world have the goodwill mm-hmm. and they have the best of strategies mm-hmm. to. And that's coming back to this conversation of what the youth can do to make sure the youth have some uh, quali- high quality of life yeah. and to want to contribute to national development sub- substantially, constructively, mm. whether they have the capacity to do that on their own. Because the very network of global, that very global network that is supposed to be supportive mm. is now extremely exploitative to the point of exploiting everything and then shutting down the door and saying okay now we have everything we need yeah nobody's joining I us think we that already move towards that exactly that already shuts everything down it means okay we are done you guys stay where you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway i think i'm probably getting too political <laughs> with the well i mean the whole thing yeah. uh, the whole point is to talk about politics yeah but i think i'm gonna end with this yeah i think what i get from it is initially we were saying that it's not really close to home for young people to think about political stability. But on the other hand, we were talking about how people, you know, 20% of the world and the other 80% of the world have just the reverse living circumstances. Mm -hmm. And that leads to political instability. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can just think about it for a moment, okay, all the young people out there, and even if you're not that young anymore, but we're always young, just remember that. So I think it's just more about knowing the facts yeah. and knowing that Where if we are, all aim yeah. to support each other rather than exploit each other, yeah. absolutely, then we will have a more balanced world and a more happy world. Rather than just always thinking about the unfairness, yeah. the inequality that we suffer from mm-hmm. or other people might have to suffer from. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But I think, it, I mean, we need... This conversation also has to be constructive, and I absolutely agree with mm, what you yeah. said. So, so that I think we are that's not thinking, the one thing that can be yeah, constructive. We yeah. are not thinking that uh, nothing else can be done. Uh, in every little space, in every socio-political context, um, people have to see themselves as a, as a whole mm. and just make the best of what they can do. But we just also keep in mind that there's always the demand side and the supply side. Mm -hmm. If we want young people to get involved, we need to psych them up, give them all the things they need to know and hear, and make them feel a part of the system. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't, they are not made to feel that way, we as scholars should be able to, you know, make them see it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't think there's any, and that's to be part of the conversation. I don't think there's any merit in pulling down a country where mm. anyone belongs to. Mm. So if violence is going to pull things down, why do you want to go into that space? You know? mm, definitely. And I think that comes from your side as a scholar. Mm. From yeah. my side as a young person, mm-hmm. I think young people should educate each other. Absolutely. And just yeah. talk about it in a more yeah. supportive way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Supportive.